You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, and if you don't, let me explain it to you. Your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and My Play at The Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is mega-talented and hilariously, emphasis on hilarious, funny writer and actor Eileen Fisher. I'll be bringing Eileen on in a few minutes, but first I'd like to take a moment or two to talk about the evolution of this year's Tony nominees for Best Play. I've just discussed this before, the at times unnoticed groundwork that a Broadway show does and, and works on and has even before it gets to Broadway. So I thought I would, you know, sort of uh, give a little bit of lineage of that with the, the current slate that we have of Tony nominees. Um, often you're, they're subjected to or, or brought through off-Broadway um, or out-of-town tryouts um, or even just, you know, readings in a theater or somebody's house or living room sometimes. These shows can be in development for years. Uh, some of them have the same talent performing the show for that length of time and con- making continuous adjustments. So sometimes you'll see a Broadway play and you won't realize that the cast has been doing that for years and years and years, even before opening night, um, if, if they're lucky enough. So I think that they would, most actors wouldn't mind that at all. So here we go. Uh, with this year's play nominees, there's a play out there called Indecent. Um, I believe it's by Paula Vogel. It was a, a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Uh, FYI, it had its world premiere at Yale Repertory Theater in October 2015, so like a year and a half ago. Then it played a limited engagement at La Jolla Playhouse, which is by San Diego, from November 13th to December 10th of 2015. Then the play had its New York premiere off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater with an opening night of May 17th, 2016. And then finally, finally... After following previews uh, from April 27th, it it opened and it's doing such great great work uh, and and is getting great buzz and great press and it it got nominated for a Tony and I believe it's winning also like off Broadway awards as well so I should probably look that up. Anyways, the next uh, play is called Oslo. I actually saw Oslo. I loved it. Um, it actually had its uh, world premiere production in July 11th, uh, 2016 at the Mitzi E. Newhouse Theater, which is one of the smaller theaters at Lincoln Center. And it's actually closed, and then it transferred over to the big theater in Lincoln Center. It's a great play, and I remember when it was off-Broadway, I really, really wanted a ticket, and I could never get one because it was always sold out. So um, the next production I want to talk about is called Sweat, and Sweat is a play that just recently won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So that's fabulous. Uh, It first opened at Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2015 before playing at the Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., and then it opened off-Broadway on October 18th at the Public Theater. And then finally, finally, it had a December 18th Broadway transfer. Can you... It's just crazy. So, anyways, um, I am really, really excited uh, to see that play because... 
Um, the author of that play also wrote a play called Ruin that won the Pulitzer Prize, and I loved that play. It was amazing. I saw it twice. Um, in, by the way, in, in California. So there you go. Anyways, uh, the fourth play is called The Doll's House Part 2. And uh, this is a play that was commissioned by South Coast Repertory Theater, which is in Costa Mesa, California. I worked right across the street from it in a restaurant and uh, where, where it has a production that's directed by Shelley Butler. Um, the play opened on Broadway on April 27th, and um, it's at the John Golden Theater. And one of the really interesting things about this play is that if for a time, and it may still be happening, but it ran both in... It ran both here at the John Golden Theater on Broadway and also in uh, at South Coast Repertory Theater at the same time, which I don't know if that's ever happened before. Probably somewhere along the lines of Broadway history, but that is very, very rare. Um, although, and although this has pretty much gone to Broadway, since the two shows are running concurrently on both coasts, um, the playwright, his name is Lucas Nath, he has proven himself to be a brilliant talent. Um, in in shows like uh, The Christians, which I saw, which was like a meditation on, on church. So um, he is one of those playwrights who, who, you know, I will fangirl over if I ever meet him. And he has proven himself to be able to open a play. It's, and that's a great play, by the way. Loved it. Saw that. So anyways, there you go. And now you know that when you're seeing a Broadway play, most of the time it's had three or four productions before that. And so, okay. Now, anyways, uh, I would like to bring on our guest... She is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, and and also an incredible writer. So please welcome the sensational Eileen Fisher. Hi, Eileen, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hello, Sean. Thanks for having me. And she's actually right here, right here in front of me. Right so, here. I know. You're the third in-person interview that I've had on your program as your ticket. It's so nice to be able to reach out and touch these people. It's a beautiful thing. So. I wish you'd worn pants, though. <laughs> He's naked. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm wearing a pencil skirt right now. <laughs> okay, so uh, David and I met Eileen back in 2012 uh, when we were doing our play at the Flash in Chicago for its world premiere. We moved out there for a couple months because David acts in the play as well as being one of the writers. And uh, we were in rehearsals, and during that time, Pride Films in Place, who produced the show, did a... They did a program called the Women's Work Festival, or Women's Words Festival. Women's Work. Women's Work. Okay, thank you. And uh, so Eileen had a show in that that festival, I believe it was called Jilted, and um, so we met. We met while they were doing the readings of all the finalists. It was you a were short playing, screenplay. A short screenplay. Is what okay. it was, yeah. Okay, cool. And, and uh, yeah, they were doing a reading of it. So I was like, I grew up in Chicago, and I thought, well, this will be fun. I'm going to go to Chicago and witness this. And how fun it was, because then we got to meet you, and it was like, um, it was like platonic gay man, lesbian woman love at first sight. Totally. So totally. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And so it's, it's really cool that that, that, uh, that happened. I'm very, very happy because I love having lots of writers, and I love when they're my friends, too. So... Anyways, uh, Eileen, tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion. Um, gosh. Well, for me, it's really been... The passion's really about comedy, mm-hmm. at least for me in terms of what I create. 
Um, I mean, I love a good drama. I mean, I'm a lesbian, of course. I love a good drama. But um, in terms of what I'm creating, it's, it's always, it's usually, it always starts out as funny and usually turns dark. Um, like most funny things come from dark places. Sure. Uh, so my training has really been more in, when I was in high school, I lied about my age um, and said I was 18 so I could take classes at Second City. And I started taking improv when I was a senior in high school and I was like the baby in the improv class. And <laughs> it was then my brother would come and pick me up and I'd be in Spanish class the next morning. And, and oh it, was, it, was, it was weird, <laughs> but it was awesome. Um, and that's sort of where I really learned the tenets of improv. And that has served me. Um, it served me as a person, certainly. You know, I mean, how many... How many commencement addresses are there by former improvisers who are always saying, and the first rule of life is yes and, and there's, some, there's absolutely some truth to that. Um, but I've found as a writer, too, when I'm, you know, I'll sort of, I won't outline something necessarily as much as I'll play an improv game with myself while I'm writing, with, you know, and I get to a point and, and I'd say, well, what's the next thing that should happen here? Mm-hmm. As as opposed, to, you know, I kind of know the direction I'm going in, but it's not necessarily plotted out. It's sort of more improvised, and that's that foundation training that I got way back when I was a young adult has has really laid that groundwork for me professionally. And when I watch things, I, I can still apply a lot of what I learned then. Um, and then when I what I did, like most theater people, I didn't get into um, some prestigious. Uh, theater programs. So I was a communications major Mm -hmm. and um, really found a love for TV and film production. Ah. And um, upon graduating from college, I was living in Boston and working in public television and I started doing improv again. And I ended up founding, I was in a class for a year and our teacher was like, you guys are really funny. You should become a troop. And we're like, okay. So they're like, you know, you need a business manager. And it was like that Three Stooges thing where, you know, the two of them step backwards. And as opposed to somebody stepping forward, everybody else steps backwards. And you're the one left. So I became the business manager by, by turning around going, where did everybody go? Um, by being slow on the uptake. <laughs> Duh. Um, so I ended up running this troop as well as being a principal actor in it for seven years. And that was a hell of an experience and, and artistically and professionally and, you know, lifelong friends and, I'm sure. um, and, and just really, but every aspect of it, cause I was in it from the first day to the last day and, and just all the people who had come through it over the years and the work that we did and how we grew, you know, in the seven years that we were together from what, how we were able to just improvise when, when you're a really good improviser, that's when you get to break the rules. Oh. You get to say no, but because if you're working with somebody you really trust, you're really saying yes. And it just sounds like no, but Oh my gosh. And, but that's like, and I probably couldn't do that today cause I haven't been on an improv stage in a long mm. time, but there have been scenes where it looks like you're denying somebody, but you're really not. And it's, it's that level of improv skill that's really it's a remarkable thing to watch and you know you can you can still there are plenty of improvisers who are really good at that Um, well it's like isn't it all about like shifting the the scene or the direction of the scene into a new direction if it's starting to stale a little bit it well the 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 
when really, when you're really in it, mm-hmm. you're not even, when you're really in it and you're just, you don't know where you are. It's not even, it's, it, it, everything becomes instinctual. And if you trust the people that you're on stage with, you, you know that it's, it's, it might dip, but it's never going to really lull. Mm. And if it really lulls, someone else, if you're all in tune, will jump in and either make it make a new scene, depending on the structure that you're doing, or add the thing that's needed in the moment. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's magic. When it works, it's magic. When it doesn't work, it's... Oh, it's, it's painful. It's, <laughs> and it's, you know who it's most painful for? The audience. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're all aware that, like, oh my god, this is this is going off yeah. the rails. But I think that's that's it's pretty tough from on stage too, because right. you're like, we're losing them, we're we're going down, we're going down. Get the nose up, get the nose up, and it's like she's she's going down, she's going down. <laughs> you're going for like the nose here, you're like pull back, pull back, fuck in. Um, we need that, a win, right? That's really a, a great theory about writing because. When you're writing, it's writing, I always say, is like a million choices until it's down to like two or three. Right. So you're always going, okay, what's the next line? Mm-hmm. And I, I never even put I never even put the concept of being strong at improv right. together with that. So that's an amazing theory. There's there's a short form improv game that I don't it's probably called something else now because I did improv a long time ago. Um, that was called options. And it was essentially a scene would happen and there'd be a facilitator. Mm-hmm. And what, you'd get to a point where you were in a funny position or you drank or you, you performed some sort of action. You know, you, you picked up something or you drank something and the facilitator would say, freeze. And they'd ask the audience, essentially, what happens next? You know, they'd say, Sean has a reaction to what he's drinking. What is it? You know, or she thought she picked up a shovel, but it's really a, and then the audience will answer that question. And whether, you know, it's a feather or a cinder block, then you, you, you just commit to what the audience says and, you know, and it's a go. And then you just pick it up with that. And then you have to, you have to react to that new thing. Oh, wow. And so when I'm writing and I don't know where I'm going, I'm just playing options with, with myself. Oh, you know, it's like I've come to the end of the scene. What happens now? You know, so and, and so. Tell me, at what age did you realize that that writing and and acting and improv um, was a passion for you, and you knew that you had to pursue it? Um, here's the story that I usually tell. My father was a stand-up comedian. When I was a kid. We, we, I grew up in Chicago, and he used to perform at this resort in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. It sounds just as it is just as romantic as it sounds. Elkhart Lake, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, near Sheboygan. <laughs> and it's it was Wisconsin, you know. It was a lake, and it was. It, it, it was Hang on, uh, I'm booking a trip here. Yeah. I've actually like checked the website, and, and back in the it's called something else. Back then, it was Schwartz's Resort, the Schwartz Resort. Oh gosh, yeah. Okay. So it was, I used to call it the Catskills of the Midwest. That was he was my father performed on cruise ships, and in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I, as a youngin, knew my father's act. I'm talking five, and so one day during the Kitty Talent Show. I decided to get up and do one of my father's jokes, which, of course, I did not understand. 
but I knew his cadence, I knew his delivery, and according to my mother, I knew how to hold a microphone and milk a laugh. <laughs> this I can believe. So I went up there and I did a couple of my dad's jokes, and then the story goes, because honestly I am too young to remember this, a couple days later when my father performed, he wasn't getting any laughs. Oh, gosh. And he's like, what the hell? And someone's like, Ed, you need to keep an eye on your kid. <laughs> Um, so the stage thing, the audience thing happened really young, Mm -hmm. you know, I really dug that. And so, you know, I didn't really school plays kind of thing. I just didn't really go to schools that had them, you Um, know, there wasn't, there wasn't really a drama club. But when I was in high school, um, we used to write our own play actually, which was fun, but that was, you know. So one year, myself and my then boyfriend um, wrote a. This was a long time. This was a long time right. ago. Wrote a um, film noir kidnapping mystery called "Here's Looking for You, Kid," and the music that we did because it was a musical were all popular song parodies of the time. So there were certain '80s songs that, when I hear them still, I replace them with the lyrics that we wrote for them. <laughs> That is the ultimate derivative musical. I love it. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, you know, because we had to involve, this was the 80s. Sure. And so someone gets kidnapped and we had to involve the police. So you know who they were. I mean, that's, that was the kind of stuff we did. But it was, it was pretty fun. Wow. So, so since, since the age of five, when you did your father's stand up act. Now, you know what my next question is going to be, right? No, I don't. Okay. Do you remember any of the jokes that you told? I remember his entire act. Okay, tell me the best joke. See, and by the way, the 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 show is marked explicit on iTunes. So, okay. see, well, here's the thing. My father, uh, my my parents were married in 1959. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was he was my father was born in 1929. Okay, so he was doing comedy. You know, this is late 60s, 70s. And he was doing comedy when he was younger in the 50s. That's the material I don't know. My father used to play the Playboy Clubs when they existed. Wow. So I, I'm sure my father had blue material. Mm-hmm. Because he was a big fat guy. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there was a whole other unarchived, you know, uh, trough of right? material <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> Um, by the time the seventies came along and he was married with three children, um, it was, you got to put it in context too. It was before sort of, you know, I mean, Lenny Bruce was doing Lenny, you know, and Richard Pryor and all that was happening, but comics were still pretty generic in their material. And and so it wasn't quite, you know, he wasn't political, none of that. You know, so it was sort of like, it wasn't quite guy walks into a bar kind of humor, Uh but it was, you know, he's so used to, you know, and you'd you'd throw names on there to make them a little more interesting, but essentially it was, it wasn't, so I was with my wife the other day, it wasn't, although he, now you've got me not finishing sentences. That's okay. Because I'm, I'm, he did a whole routine about my mother being Italian, which she was not. Um, and he did this whole routine about their wedding night, which 
It's really horrible and offensive. But <laughs> there's <laughs> there, there's still so he 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 would end with basically I was gonna tell you one joke about the toilet seat, but I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm gonna leave that as a teaser for when I come back. Uh, okay. Due to audience demand. Okay, I'm writing it down. Um, the, the toilet, toilet seat. seat joke. Okay. Um, he would do um, this whole routine about my mother being this big fat Italian lady named Shirley Constanza. Which Shirley was, Constanza? My mother's name was Joan. She was a nice Jewish <laughs> lady from the north side. But this was his bit. And, and he did this whole thing about their wedding night and um, how... She was Italian, and basically he made her Italian so he could do one joke, which was, she was Italian, I was Jewish, one day we'll have kids, they'll be Jewops. Oh my God. <laughs> one day, I, it was the 70s. Oh, no, right. Right. One, <laughs> one day a little Jewop will come up to me and say, Daddy, I want a bicycle, what do I tell him, steal it or buy it wholesale? Like, I still love that joke. Oh my I God. That hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is funny, because in this day and age, that joke would be... Probably considered more offensive. offensive than like toilet humor, yeah. but not yeah. your toilet joke, of course. Yeah. Like like some of the the, the sexual humor that right. we hear, and and uh, that, that's that's it. that's very interesting. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> I love that. Okay, so would would you consider uh, improv and the acting that it, it spurred, um, or, or writing mm-hmm. your forte, your specialty, uh, w- which one of those would it be? I don't understand the question. Okay. Well, like which, <laughs> okay, here's, here's improv and acting. Mm-hmm. Here's writing. Uh-huh. Which would you consider to be your forte? Uh, right now it's writing. I've, okay. I've stepped off the stage. Um, it's been a while since I've been on stage okay. and I, unlike my father, um, I enjoyed it, mm. but I didn't crave it. Ah. You know, or unlike anybody who's especially stand-ups and improvisers who are doing their own material. I mean, that's the thing, too. I mean, I'm married to an actress, and she is a legit, for real, line-memorizing actress. And she loves it. And, that's and, and an excellent and one. And an excellent one, yeah. if, if I don't say so myself. Um, she's really pretty, too. She is. She's um, totally pretty. Uh, um, but she's... You know, and she's trained. She has a freaking MFA. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knows her stuff. And it's, it's you know, to watch her prepare, she's like an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, but with, with improv and with stand-up, it's, you're giving of yourself in a much different way. Right. You know, you're, you're telling your own story whether you're embellishing it or not. Mm-hmm. You're still starting from your own truth without a script. You know, you're creating that script from your own truth, which, you know, as an actor, you know, you're, you're, re, you're bringing your truth to someone else's truth. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so all that to say, I, I, I didn't need, I don't get me wrong. I love being on stage. I love making people laugh. I love hearing that come at me. Sure. Um, but I don't need it in a way that compels me to have pursued it or I would have pursued it. Right. I, I, so did it cool a little bit? It did. Yeah. I, you know, after I, I ran in my improv troupe in Boston and then I moved to L.A. and I started doing stand-up in L.A. Also while writing spec, strip, spec scripts and um, I wanted to be a TV writer. Right. You're, I know you're right. I was going to say you write for TV yeah. as well. I, ideally, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, 
I found myself not enjoying stand-up. Uh-huh. I've never really enjoyed stand-up as much as I enjoyed improv. I compare them to masturbating as opposed to having sex with a partner. <laughs> That's my analogy for stand-up versus improv. Which could be a great stand-up joke. <laughs> Ironically, I don't know if that's irony or coincidence. I always confuse the two. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done, and I've done some, my, my friends in Boston used to do a Valentine's, still do a Valentine's Day show called Thorns. And that was kind of, I, I started doing those every Valentine's Day. And they invite me back every year, even though I don't live there anymore because mm-hmm. I was involved early on. Um, and it's a great show. Um and I've done some really cool sort of more, I kind of fell into, I hate the term storytelling because it's, it's used by people who aren't really storytellers. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those, like, corp, it's become a corporate jargon word. And I think uh-huh. people who really truly are at their core storytellers have kind of gotten swept up in this wave of, I'm a storyteller because there's not a, because people don't have the right vocabulary for what they're doing. And so it sort of falls under this mishmash of storytelling. It is a buzzword or a buzz phrase. And, and, and so all that to say the things that I was doing on thorns were sort of more kind of personal. We used to call that personal monologues, you know, and again, it's just, it's, it's an evolution of terminology more than it is a change in the way 10 minute, 10 minute plays used to be called sketches. Right. <laughs> We're gonna do a skit. No, it's a ten minute play. <laughs> it's a five minute play. It's a sketch. Um, but so the the things that we would do for Thorns were sort of there was it was a good five eight minutes. It was a little more drawn out. It was the last one I did, which in the back of my head, have always thought there was potential for. It was. The history of my gay boyfriend's a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> because I'm remembering a, this now. As, as 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 a young girl, many of the boys that I had connected with were gay. The first being Barry Manilow, and then working up from there. But again, this we lived in a where Sean and I are of, st- of the same age, pretty mm-hmm, much. So right. growing up in a generation where that twenty nine, yeah, the twenties, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that where the vocabulary and the comfort wasn't the openness just simply wasn't there, but we all still managed to find each other. Right. And because it was just we were just a different quantum signature than the regular straight world. Mm. And we found each other. We just didn't. There weren't words yet. There weren't straight gay alliance groups yet. It was just sort of I know that we connect, and I don't know why. And so. You know, we think that we're boyfriend and girlfriend, but we're really not. You're right. gay and I'm gay, but we we fit and we don't know why. Huh. And that's really what that piece is about and how just, you know, going through my life, I've always I've always had gay boyfriends, you know, sitting across from me. Right. <laughs> and it would be a PowerPoint, an, an actual it PowerPoint. It actually was a PowerPoint presentation. Oh presenta- I had music. It was, it was, because it was pictures of like, and here's another Gay man. And, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and then we can get with in-group, out-group humor about what words we can say and what words we can't, but, okay, you know. Um, wh- what messages and themes do you strive to convey to audiences through the pieces that you choose to write? Let's just, let's just stick with writing. And TV, film writing is fine, too, stage writing. 
there are certain, I think we all have an identity or a voice as a writer. What's yours? Well, the play that I did get produced, um, which started as a screenplay and ended up as a stage play, was called Girl Hopping. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of... It was about a group of lesbians in West Hollywood who were all one degree of separation of having slept with each other. And that came about as... I, I have a big problem with overwrought, overdramatic, processy lesbian theater and plays and books and movies and songs. I just... I want to just grab the little lesbian by her tevas and shake her and say, stop it. And so girl hopping sort of came out of, was real life inspired by when I was living in Los Angeles and I was sort of met kind of the showbiz lesbian mafia. And it's like, these women are crazy. And I got caught up in just all of the drama and all of the backbiting in the social circles and the screwing around and all these things that were going on. And, and I, boiled it down and made a little screenplay out of it that had its own journey. And mm-hmm. this close, like everything in L.A., it was this close to getting sure, it. Sure, yeah. Um, and I was having a conversation with my friend Mark, who was my last gay boyfriend in Boston. He was my roommate for a while. Um, and he, too, was kind of like the whole... And, and I don't want to sound like a complete dick about what's... that people are too serious but sometimes kind of the there there's a, a period where gay movies always end with somebody killing themselves because they're gay. Oh yeah. I mean it was a trope for a while. Sure. You know, and and lesbian much of the lesbian theater and and movies that I've seen are very talky and and processy and and I'm like, why don't we ever get to laugh? Why don't we ever... Why are our worlds so sad and and need to be analyzed and and discussed and torn apart? It's like, why can't we just live in a live in a world where we sleep with people and have romances and and function as normal people, right. so to speak. Um, and, and when I wrote girl, when I converted girl hopping to the stage, you know, I had to lose a lot of characters and I really, it was a great exercise in that I had to boil down really to the essences of the types that I was going for and and the message that I was trying to send. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, that, that's really sort of, I guess you could say that. I take things seriously, but I'm not necessarily serious about them. I can see that, yeah. And you're, having read a lot of your writing, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there's some really serious stuff in the world, and I think it goes down better with humor. I mean, I deal with, I, I take on death a lot in um, stuff I've written too, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, what's funnier? Than death? That's nothing. <laughs> Well, I mean, when we think about it, and, and we have to use comedy during moments of tragedy. Besides, I'm Jewish. It's inherent. In our, it's, our, it's what we do. We eat and we die. Well, you have that Italian mother. <laughs> the fake, my fake Italian mother. What was her name again? Shirley Constanza. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you... 
you like to take on social themes, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, where it starts off as funny, and then it gets... It uh, takes a horrible, terrible and then it takes, turn. But, but, don't, but do you think that your formula of starting off funny and moving towards bringing in some of the dark elements... Um, is that a formula for success for you as opposed to the reverse? Or if it started off really dark and then you have to bring all kinds of humor into it? I've never tried that. That sounds fun. Um, you know, I, I I think the two have to coexist or, you know, you it, it, either... And, and not that there's anything wrong with candy because, you know, there's nothing better than something that's just funny from beginning to end. Right. It's just like, I don't have to think about any of that. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, but I find, at least for me, that when things are so serious all the time and there's there's no lightness in them that I, I can't digest it. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe I'm shallow, but I, I, I you need a little bit of, sugar with that and even if even if it's a really dark joke because it it will still cut through and you'll get like that you know sort of that like was that a flash of I don't know Uh, well I guess I'll keep going a little further right you know and and so um I mean I get I don't know I I think I once read a long time ago that uh, even if something is labeled as a comedy, it needs some drama. If something is labeled as a drama, it needs some comedy. Uh, and that's just a reflection of the balance of, I think, real life. And the creation of the unfortunate word, dramedy. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys she was hilarious. <laughs> I'm also not wearing pants. Right. <laughs> She's wearing a hoop skirt. <laughs> I'm wearing a pencil skirt. She's wearing a hoop skirt and 12 petticoats. Yes. It's a petticoat junction here. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what do you think is an important direction that theater is taking right now that you can see? I mean, you know, I, I love that there's finally some diversity and, and that, it, it's, it's sort of the, the mainstreaming of diversity in a way, you know, aside from all finally people of different colors and backgrounds are starting to get a little bit of a voice. Right. There's also, um, you know, people being less rigid in their casting, mm-hmm. which produces sort of, I think, an unintentional effect, but I think a, a really important one. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you were talking about A Doll's House too, uh-huh. and you know, um, was it? Are you talking about the daughter? Yeah, the uh, da- I, was, I was thinking. Wait, did I just mix my plays up? Because no, no, on it. yeah, you did. And I thought Condola Rashad. Yeah, Condola Rashad. And I was thinking, I, yeah, my head just sort of went to like, wait, was that? Because then I was thinking about Great Comet, and that also had a diverse cast. But I thought this is awesome that here's here she is playing their daughter. And obviously they are of different races. And, mm-hmm. and that doesn't matter. Yeah, I didn't bat an eye. And I, yeah. don't think it, I don't think, you know, 99% of yeah, the audience and, even registered it. And, and I think that in and of itself is the beginning of something greater. 
you mm-hmm. know, then, then it has to be old dead white men all the time. Right. You know, and, and also in terms of, I think for, for us gays, Mm-hmm. You know, the gay character is becoming less of a stereotype, less queeny, less butchy, less, you know, oh, isn't this, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a makeover. Right. You know, and oh, look, we, you know, look, the lesbian showed up to deliver the UPS package, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's beyond that. Right. Um, and, and I think, I think that's really neat, mm-hmm. you know, that we can finally get. And not that we don't have a long way to go, because God knows we do. But sure, those doors are starting to open, and hopefully, there's room for everybody. Right, right. right? I was—I um, actually just posted this on somebody's wall this morning. I was reading Jane Lynch's book a couple of years ago. Um, you know, from Glee, and, mm-hmm. um, and and she wrote that every character is in every actor. It's just their job to do the creative work to create that character. Mm-hmm. You know, so you could effectively play, you know, as I know this is kind of like right in front of me, but a tree or uh, you, you could play anything. It's there as long as you do the work to create it. And I think hopefully that that's being realized a right. little bit more and respected a little bit more uh, within casting companies mm-hmm. and producers. And I think uh, a doll's house is right. a perfect example of that that and i mean all four of the actors are amazing but she is a sensational right. actor right she is i don't know if you saw her in um the trip to bountiful no i did not yeah she was in the trip to bountiful the cicely uh tyson production mm-hmm. she was phenomenal she played i think the name is character's name is thelma who she, the nice lady that she right. meets on the bus the one right. nice character in the whole play <laughs> um but anyways yeah, yeah. I, I just i'm i have a little uh, talent crush on her so that's why i'm I'm diverting a little bit from you to Condola. That's all right. Uh-huh. Um, I've had a crush on Laurie Metcalf since I've been aware of her. So, and her performance in that. Oh my gosh, she's killing it, right? Oh my jeez. <laughs> I mean, yeah. finally, finally, she gets a play where it's like, I'm going to win every award, and she better. Yeah, she better. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> you know, it's going to be uh, riots in Times Square. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, cocktails and dinner afterwards, right. <laughs> naturally. Yeah. The new brunch, yes. Exactly. First we protest, then we get brunch. <laughs> um, what do you think is the best part of, of being involved in a small, intimate theater production? What's, what's the, the fun of that or the, the advantage? Well, honestly, it's been a long time since I've been part of one of those. Okay. And the fact that I miss it says, you know, um, I... It's it's the intimacy not only with the audience but with the 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 commu- your own community the players and the the company that's like what's the word I'm looking for the ensemble yeah, well ensemble but, the ensemble <laughs> but as well as just the company of you know the person who's doing the box office and running the lights sure. and, you know um, a million years ago in Boston there was this theater called the Back Alley Theater. And it's where an, an improv troupe, not my improv troupe, but another improv troupe, used to do their shows at 10.30 after, like, the little storefront theater show. Uh-huh. So they would do a 10.30 show after that. Wow. But it was, like, this little tiny space, and you had to, like, climb up to... The lighting booth was this little tiny, you know, bird's nest. and and Been there. He, done that. And... 
And there's something about being young and being part of that community and, and like, can you come in and do lights for us tonight? Because we, you know, that sort of, when you got a phone call. Right. So when I left you a message on your machine because that's how long ago it was. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something about that intimacy there right. that is really extraordinary. And, you know, I mean, I work in TV too and that, that exists except with union delineation as opposed to who's touching the lights. Right. But, you know, you get onto a production sometimes and you get that same sense of it's us and then the audience and we're all kind of in this tiny little world and it's this sweet little bubble and, you know, I, I miss it. It's just, it hasn't been something that I've found that I've made time for mm-hmm. or that I've sought out really while living in New York because my life has just taken sort of a, a, a tack away from that right. current. Well, what's interesting is that you, you give that answer, but that's a very common answer to yeah. this question. I'm sure. Um, is, is the teamwork. Yeah aspect of it where you know you're you're taking tickets and then you're climbing into the light booth you know then afterwards you're sweeping and cleaning toilets i mean and then you're drinking beer right (laughs) and then you're going out afterwards (laughs) my my husband uh, always says my husband david the first plays that he did outside of of school uh were in a strip mall uh it was a a theater and a strip mall behind a tattoo parlor fantastic (laughs) Which I think is just like yeah. so super funny. <laughs> well, that's how the back alley was. There was like a downstairs. You had to like climb a ladder to get to the stage, and there was a stink. No one. I think it was there was a, a rumor was the mythology was there was a dead rat somewhere in the like walls of the yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you know you barely had enough money to put on the production. Right. Much less knock knock out the wall yeah, and get the gonna, rat out of there. So you just you know, not just, in Cambridge. <laughs> you just that gonna, rat had a right to be there. This was Cambridge. Right. <laughs> You just continue to drop, like, a Glade stick. Exactly. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) Um, What do you think every theatrical artist, uh, writer, actor, director, should be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? I don't know. That's a really small, specific question you're asking. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) What? What do you you want me to know? What What, What should every theatrical artist... Writer, actor, director, right. be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? Um, that's a gigantic question. And I am the last Thank you. person. I work out. <laughs> you should see his guns uh, yeah. and his pencil skirt. Um, I, you know, I have a very short answer to that. Okay. And it was a piece of advice given to me by a mentor in when I was working in public television in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, this phenomenal woman who used to call me babe, and I used to call her babe. She'd call me, and she'd go, babe, it's babe. <laughs> um, and she had a very strong influence on me early in my career. And I was working for her at one point, and I was, was mid-late 20s, and I didn't know which way it was up. And... She looked at me, and she said to me, babe, be true to your truth. Mm. And that has been a guiding principle of my life. And I think, really, as artists, it's about truth. And my truth is different than your truth is different than David's truth is different than my wife's truth. Mm -hmm. And so if you know what your truth is and you remain true to it, then everything comes from there. 
Hmm. Can you give an example of, and you don't have to if you don't want to, of okay. where that's worked for you? Um, I think when I sit down, when I'm really knee deep in writing something hmm. and I have all these characters talking to me and, and they're telling me their truths. And, Interesting. you know, that's, you know, if you want to get metaphorical and esoteric here, improv is based on trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, and <laughs> let's go to the cheesiest, most awful um, ex- theater exercise there is. The trust fall. <laughs> Stupidest thing in the world. Right. We all hate them. Mm-hmm. Because all of us in our hearts don't trust. Right. And not that we ever did trust falls when I was when we were doing improv together, but knowing that I'm in a scene and I'm having a problem and I know that I need someone else to come in and do something and then they do it. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, trust and truth and trusting and trustfulness. I, I think they're all kind of, they're, they are all interconnected. I mean, it's all the same root word. And I think that's, you know, the kernel that propels us forward as artists. You know, one of the big rules in improv is honesty, mm-hmm. which is, of course, the side of truth. You know, that when you're, when you're trying to make stuff up, you're not funny. But if you blurt something out that comes from some truth deep within you, that it's going one, it's going to resonate. It's going to land on everybody because it's the truth, mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, some kind of put on. I look at me being clever, and no one's more clever than me. <laughs> but it's me telling you the truth, except me, except Sean, <laughs> and he looks dashing in a pencil skirt. <laughs> um, but that you know, you know when you see something, and if you know, I mean, there's another buzzword, authentic. Like all of that, as hokey as it sounds I think is is really what people have to do and, and I we're living in precarious times mm-hmm. and the truth is there's the alternative truths out there and and we have to be true to our truth and and I think that is a guiding light well and it also sounds like what you're talking about is is being okay with dropping the defenses and being and being vulnerable um, and, and trusting that. <laughs> and because that's where the truth comes from. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah. Uh, they just, and you can tell when an actor is, is being open as Absolutely. opposed to, to when they're, when they're closed off mm-hmm. in a show. I mean, you mm-hmm. could just tell right away there's, and we can tell and we could probably label it. Yeah. But uh, an average audience member, may not be able to do that. They just sense that something's weird. Something's not right. Right. The truth is not there. So I think that that is one of my favorite answers so far. Uh, Shucks. (laughs) Um, Well, especially in improv, because sometimes you have an idea. And like the worst thing you can have in improv is an idea. (laughs) <laughs> and someone's someone's over here, and they've created their little space. They're in their little hamburger joint, and they're they're making their burgers. And someone has this idea, mm-hmm. and they come in, 
and they, and this is, you know, classic denial, and they ignore the idea that's already being softly developed, or they take it and they, they have an agenda with it. Oh. And, it, and, it, and it loses its whatever that little sweetness was that was started. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, now you've taken it with this, you're taking it to this place that it never intended to go. Right. And it feels false. It feels put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels disingenuine. All of those, you know. And as an audience member, you're like, Exactly. You're like, I don't know what just happened, but I don't think it was right. Right. You know, where anybody in the audience who's done improv, because that's usually who goes to see improv. <laughs> oh, I'm in an improv troupe. We used to have a courtesy that if you were an improv troupe, you didn't have to pay. So that was part of it. Um, those days are over. Um, but you're like, oh, he just did, you know, you can name it. Like anything else, when the rules are broken, if you know what the rules are, you can name it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise you're like, that didn't seem legal. That didn't seem like the right thing to do when right. that hockey player did that to that other hockey player. I think there was a, a penalty for that, you know. Oh, exactly. So it's it's yeah. Well, there's an there's an alchemy uh, to performing to acting uh, that it, it, it's it's very very difficult and it's very precarious. And I think that uh, it, it is based in truth and it is based in vulnerability. Um, that's uh, that's a wonderful answer because yeah. most people are saying you know go out there and connect right or or um, you know uh, find a find a mentor or say yes to everything I mean and and what you're giving is a is a very it's one step back from that right it is it's, you have to do that before you can because if you don't know what your truth is you're not going to find the right person to help you exactly precisely so so that's great I mean no shade to any of my other answers I love all of them but. But that is very, very, very smart and extremely well thought out. Okay, before we wrap up, you want to do a speed round with me? Sure. Okay, cool. Okay, what's your favorite play? Uh, you know, I don't have a sort of an all-time favorite play. I will tell you that I just saw Sweat and it blew my mind. Okay, cool. Favorite musical? That's easy. A chorus line. A co- oh. I saw it in Chicago in the 80s. My mother took me for like my, my 16th birthday and that. I'm sorry, it's hokey. But I, that movie, that, that play blew my mind. High five. I fucking love that show. It's so, sorry, I said the F. I, think, I don't think I've ever said the F word on the show, but again. I bring out the worst in right. people. <laughs> I, I remember seeing it here at the Pantages Theater mm-hmm. and my one of the guys that was in it I uh, went to my high school, and I was here with my. It was my drama school trip, right. my drama uh, troop, drama class trip, and we got to go backstage, oh, wow. and I was tripping. I was right. like, "Oh my!" I met him. I met uh, Dana Morales, uh, somebody else. I forget, but I just. I, I think that musical is genius. It is. It, it's because it's simple and it's true. It's no it, exactly that is that is their truth, and also I met Donna McKechnie. Oh, you little I did, but gay. not but not then. I right. met her a couple of years ago at a Pride Films and Plays event oh, where wow. she came out and she was a guest and she was super super sweet and I just I, I I love I love that musical as well. Okay, do you have a favorite writer? I well, what kind of writer? I mean, in, in, any kind. In, in, um, I'm going to answer Nora Ephron because that seems like a good answer. Oh, Nora Ephron did yeah. a lot of things. Yes, she did. She wrote plays. She wrote she screenplays. Wrote, and that's why she's a hero of mine. Right. As well as Flannery O'Connor. Okay. Cool. There Weird you go. Weird but true. That's all right. 
You can have fav- co-favorite yes. writers. <laughs> How about your favorite director? Um, see, I, I'm assuming when I hear director, you mean film. Or do you mean... Uh, e- e- Either whatever you want. I'm like my favorite director is Mike Nichols, but he right. does he did film. He does everything. He did. He's he's, he's gone. That's a good one. God rest his soul. I loved him. Um, I have several. Peter Bogdanovich is one, um, and Barry Levinson is another. Oh, cool. Excellent. Uh, do you have a mentor? Not currently. Okay, that's fine. Groovy. Okay. Well, before we uh, wrap up, why don't you tell us uh, if, if there's anything that you'd like to mention that you've been working on lately or that you'd like to start up or revisit? Um, you want to hear the toilet joke? Yes. Yes. Let's hear the toilet joke. Okay. <laughs> She's pivoting, but that's all right. Um, so this guy, like that's literally how it starts. So this guy. Okay, good. Paints the house green. Paints the whole house green. Paints the living room green. Paints the dining room green. Paints the bedroom green. Paints the bathroom green. Paints the toilet seat green. Unbeknownst to his wife, who is out bowling, comes home at 3 o'clock in the morning, has a seat on the wet painted toilet seat, and gets stuck. She starts screaming hysterically. Her husband comes back into the bathroom, cannot pry her up, necessity being the mother of invention, goes to the toolbox, gets a monkey wrench and a screwdriver, Unscrews the toilet seat, picks up his wife and the toilet seat, brings her in the bedroom, puts her in the bed face down, calls the doctor. The doctor shows up. He pulls down the cover and he says, doctor, what do you think of that? And the doctor says, it's beautiful, but did you have to frame it? (laughs) And as my mother used to say, and that's what kept us out of the big time. Follow me on Twitter. I'm hilarious. I.A. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. She's peeking at my script here. <laughs> Are there any other uh, social media sites you like? That's, that's my main one, Okay, is, is Twitter. Tell us again. I.A. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And are you on it all the time? I'm on it plenty. Okay, good. Um, I'm, you know, I have a big mouth. No. I know. I'd like to be snarky. <laughs> that's where I'm snarkiest, is on Twitter. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, Eileen. You're thank awesome. You. No, go on. Okay, now, now, even though you did the toilet joke, which right. you said you were going to do on the next show. I know. Now I'll have to come up. I'll tell the astronaut joke next time. Okay, all right. There. I, I just wanted a commitment that you'd be back. Oh, so. They're demanding it. I can hear them in the streets. <laughs> or that's another protest. Right. <laughs> you, were, you were marvelous. Oh, go on. And just, just fabulous. Go on. I would, but I have to wrap it up. Okay. So at the end of the show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions I recommend. And on tonight's show, I'm recommending a Broadway show that is close to both Eileen and myself. It's called Bandstand. It's a great new musical out here um, on Broadway. It stars Alora Osnes and Corey Cott and a brilliant team of musicians, cast, and crew. And its storyline deals with the big band music of the 1940s with such themes weaved in as friendship, War and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it's directed and choreographed by Tony Winter, Tony Winner, Andy Blankenbuehler of the Hamilton fame. Never he, heard of it. He, please. He's the chore, He's a choreographer of Hamilton, but he directed and choreographed this show. And I actually saw another show that he did double duty on, and 
duty. And um, <laughs> you were thinking it, I know. And that was a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and he, it was really, really good. I loved it. Saw that in L.A. Um, it has books and li- book and lyrics by Bob Taylor and Richard Oberacker, and the music is by Richard Oberacker. I love that name. Uh, Eileen and I have a friend named Adam Wolf who is a percussionist who plays in the orchestra pit. It's true. And I say that because not only is there an orchestra, um, but part of the story is a formation of a band of World War II veterans, and the guys who are in that band actually play the instruments, and Corey Cott plays the piano. So, anyways, it's a wonderful show with edifying themes that really hit home with the audience when I was there. In fact, there was a moment, I won't give it away, when one of the actors gave a monologue about serving in the military, and the audience, like, flat-out cheered. They're like, yes! Um, It has received two Tony Award nominations for Best Choreography for Blank and Bueller and Best Orchestrations for Bill Elliott and Greg Anthony Rasson, both fabulous. Um, both of those nominations in those categories. Um, and it, ju- it was just announced that the show has been nominated for five Broadway.com Audience Choice Awards, including Favorite New Musical, Leading Actor and Actress for uh, Osnes and Cott, and Favorite Onstage Pair for the same couple, and Favorite Diva Performance for Laura Osnes. Now, what I understand, she's not a diva at all, but uh, um, but I mean only in behavior. She's She is becoming, like, she's like a baby diva. Why? I, that's how I describe her. Anyways. Um, it's is playing- that David? A baby diva? No, no, no. David is a major diva. Uh, it's it's playing here in New York at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater on 45th. Please visit their website at bandstandbroadway.com for tickets and show details. It's a great show, and, and I loved it. It was wonderful. Well, folks, a proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung, and the bows have been taken, Aww. so it's time to lower the curtain. Yeah. Hey, hey, there's a curtain. Hey, you didn't tell me it was real. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest, the sensational Eileen Fisher. Go on. That was her. If you'd like for me to give you a shout-out about your show or your production company or whatever in your area or a mention of your organization, go to my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at program ticket and give my website a visit at yourprogramisyourticket.com. Um, and... It would be best to send me an email, or you can give me a like and shoot me a message, or what have you. Everyone knows a million ways we can connect, and I will talk about you, and happily. Uh, folks, then he'll talk about you behind your back. No, I won't. I'm never <laughs> like this. Stop that. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of theater gems out there. And until our next show, good night, theater people, and curtain. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.thepurpose.org because only together we rise.